Hi, this is Stuart Hardy with All In Sports Outreach, and I'm so excited to share a new episode of our podcast with you today. You're going to hear from C.J. Wilson. He played college football at Baylor University, played a few years in the NFL, but just more than that, an incredible man of character, loves the Lord, he's married, and they have a daughter. He's currently a defensive coordinator at Life Oak Cliff Charter School in the Dallas area. I cannot wait for you to hear from C.J., so let's jump right into it. Well, thanks for joining me today, C.J., no problem, my man. I appreciate you having me. You bet. So I always like to start this off with some background information because um, there's some listeners that probably don't know who you are. Um, so I know sports-wise, played at Baylor, played in the NFL, but I thought it'd be good if you would give the listeners a little bit about yourself, about um, about your life, where you grew up, a little bit about your life growing up and your family growing up, and then your family today. Okay. Um, I'm the, uh, the youngest of three. Um, two older brothers, uh, man, my, my mom, my dad, I love them both. They both are great. Um, I started playing football, man, when I was three years old out in the front yard out in Turo, Texas, uh, with my older brothers and, and they, needless to say, they did not take it easy on me. Like not, <laughs> <laughs> not even a little bit, man. Started playing tackle football when I was around seven, eight years old, um, did that all the way until I got to uh, uh, the middle school. And my mom, we moved from Texas up to uh, Tennessee, Ripley, Tennessee. And uh, I played seventh grade and eighth grade football. Larry did quite well. Won a bunch of different awards, all conference awards and all that type of stuff. Moved back at the beginning of my freshman year. Played freshman football. Was a bag up uh, when I got back here uh, for three games. Um, the guy in front of me, and we'll talk, we'll, we'll get into this later because it, it, it's amazing how it all adds up. The guy in front of me, we was playing against our rival, which is Greenville. And uh, the guy in front of me was getting beat. And I slid next to my coach, and I shouldn't have did this, and I know all coaches hate this. When a player comes up to you and be like, coach, put me in, coach, put me in, coach, put me in. Well, I did it. So I'm sorry. Let me say that in advance. <laughs> <laughs> I did it. And um, he was so frustrated that he actually threw me in. And I never looked back from that point. Um, finished playing freshman football. Um, got a chance to, to be pulled up uh, for varsity, for the playoffs, uh, to see what it was like. Went through the whole offseason, man. Um, them prepping me to be a starter. Um, went through the summer. Started going back and forth with, with the coaches. I had a problem, Stu. And my problem was I, I knew I was good, but I wasn't mature enough to handle what that meant. Wow. And so, yeah, I wasn't mature enough to handle it. So my attitude got real bad. Now, what's important to note about the whole deal is my um, my mother and stepdad still lived in Tennessee. My dad mm. still lived, but my mother and my stepdad still lived in Tennessee. So my mother, my mother would drive eight hours, man, just to watch me play football. Wow. She stayed, she sleep uh, overnight at one of my aunt's house, and then she'd have to drive all the way back to Tennessee, an eight-hour drive, to go back to work with my stepdad. So um, when she got a chance to move back, I stayed with my Aunt Cora my sophomore year, uh, sophomore and then my junior year. Part of my junior year, I stayed with my, uh, my Aunt Ethel. Now, during that time, and I think this is important, especially for coaches to be able to understand their kids. Mm. 
freshman year, seeing my mom go back and forth with having the idea of being able to play varsity football, had a bad attitude. I ended up getting kicked off the team and out of athletics. Wow. Had a horrible attitude. Ooh. Yeah. Um, I was allowed to get back in athletics after like a week. Uh, the basketball, My basketball coach, uh, Willie Coates, who's not a head basketball coach up at Clarksville High School in Texas, he went to uh, my head coach then, Tom Ed Gooden, and said, well, hey, can we get CJ back into the uh, program on probationary terms just for basketball? And so what they did was uh, they made me go outside the sports facility, and I would have to do up-downs, push-ups, sit-ups, all of that stuff during the whole athletic period, and there was no one around. And um, Coach Gooden said, if I look down there, if any one of my coaches look down there and see you not doing something over there, you're out of athletics for the rest of your high school career, for at least as long as I'm here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Whether it was raining, if it was sleeting, if it was, you know, how hot it get here in Texas, no matter what the weather was, man, you would always see this kid on the side of the building just doing work for a good hour by himself. And then once the, the bell rang, that's when I would go to basketball practice. So I had to do that for two years, sophomore and junior year. And so um, by the time my mom moved back, her and my stepdad ended up breaking up, um, ended up getting a divorce. We ended up living in a house, man, with no running water for a good year and a half. So if I didn't shower at school, if I didn't really eat at school, because we used to get fed through the food barn. That's twice mm. a month, donated food. So um, became pretty good at basketball. They allowed me my junior year to do track, uh, was a regional qualifier in that. Had to humble myself to actually see the damage that I did. Went back, talked to my head coach, man. He let me get in, get back in football. Um, it was a real quick conversation. Um, I had to go down, clean out my own pass, get ready to play. As soon as that happened, man, I got back out there, went out on the left side of the field, and I never let anybody else come in and sub for me. Never took a break, anything like that. I knew I only had one year to get this done. So a lot of people who do know the story or do know my story that, that saw some of the stuff that I did, they know a snippet of that. But for those who don't know my story, I literally was blessed enough to receive a Division I scholarship off of one year playing high school football. So I know they got things set up now for kids where, you know, if you're not getting two or three years of film that, you know, they, they saying it's almost impossible for you to get a look. That's not true. And I'm a living witness of that. All you really got to do in my most honest opinion is you got to have something in you that's greater than what's outside of you. Your desire to be great. Even if you don't even know what that looks like, if the desire that you have in you to be something is more, is bigger than what people say you can't do. You mm. can get that. So again, and there was no excuses. It wasn't, it wasn't any, my best friend couldn't even stay all night at my house. Wow. No running water. I had to, I um, mean, if you, if you ever get a chance, man, the next time, if you driving out or for people who know uh, interstate 20 here in Texas, mm-hmm. if you driving through Terrell and you see that big old mall that's out on the right hand side and keep going, like you're going towards Tyler Shreveport. On the outskirts of Terrell, there's this uh, big gas station on the right next to Trinity Valley uh, Community College. It's called Rip Griffey Gas Station. I literally used to have to walk down Wilson Road, uh, punch a punch a ticket at the trucker station to shower 
waited in line until a truck had finished, and then literally had to run or walk back down that same dirty road in order to get back home. Yeah. That was my life, man. So the stuff with Baylor and the stuff with the NFL, that's the part that people see that's like, wow, you was able to deal with that. And that had its challenges. But what got me there was, was that. That's what got me there. Wow. So how, that was, what, a year or two years that you did that? Yeah, it was two years. Wow. So well, what about the summers? I mean, I didn't have I didn't have summers. My my brother and I, we laugh about that now when we watch, you know, the the summer programs that kids the seven on seven tournaments and you know, you go in to get your morning workouts and stuff. I didn't have that stuff. Here's okay. what I had. We sat on we lived in a trailer house, first of all, in the country with no running water. All right? Exactly. And being that I was the youngest, it was my job to make sure that whenever, you know, you had to go to the restroom, that there was always a bucket underneath the house to catch it. Mm. And my, they emptied that out in the morning and at nighttime. Yeah. So in the summertime, we sat on, my stepdad owned, um, he had these six acres. And so my mother would be the person who had like a broken off broom. She would put the hole in the ground. My brother had some nitrogen 2020s fertilizer. He would take a scoop of that out of the bag and dump it in the ground next to the uh, next to the hole. And my job was to take the seeds and plant them in there. So if a person don't know what six acres looks like in person, it's going to be hard for you to get a picture. Just that it's a whole bunch of land for a kid. So in the summer, when the, when the sun rose up, I'm out in the field. By the time the uh-huh. sun goes down, I'm out in the field. Mm-hmm. So what? Seven on seven football, nothing. It was none of that. Not for me. Wow. Wow. So let's talk about, I mean, growing up in that environment, you talked about your mom, talked about your stepdad, living with yeah. two aunts. Talk about um, faith at that point. And then at what point did you make that a personal decision to have a relationship with Jesus? Oh, perfect. Uh, when my mother introduced me, we had always went to church. But mm-hmm. um, my my first memory of coming into contact firsthand with God was she was, I was like seven, I believe, six or seven, something like that. And she uh, took us to New Mount Calvary Baptist Church. And um, I remember looking and Pastor Robinson came up and asked my mom, did she want to give her life to Christ? Because she had joined church. And she was like, yeah. And I was like, well, if my mama going to do it, I'm going to do it. And so, <laughs> and so how old were you like, then? I was like seven. If I'm not okay. mistaken, it was like six or seven years old, something like that. And I remember standing up in front of the church. I remember all of the people that was there. And I remember reciting the words, confessing with my mouth, believing in my heart that Jesus mm. Christ is my Lord and my Savior, died on Calvary's cross, rose, he lives again. And I accepted that. And literally from there, that's my earliest, fondest memory that I have of my interaction with him. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Wow. And that's what that you almost remember it word for word, too. That's awesome. Yes. 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 I know I'm saved, brother. <laughs> that's right. Amen. Amen. So you talked about, and we'll, we'll talk about faith a little bit more. I want to get back to some, some sports, too. So okay. you talked about ended up at Baylor. Mm-hmm. Um, after only one full year of high school. So, so how, why Baylor? 
um, of all, because I mean, let's let's be honest. At the time mm-hmm. when he chose Baylor, it was not the um, most successful football program around. So, so why yeah. Baylor? Whew. Man, truth is, it was where I was sent. I didn't want to go there. Mm. The place I wanted to go was I wanted to go to Georgia Tech, but where God wanted me to go was was Baylor. I actually was treated the best at Louisiana Monroe. That's where I was actually treated the best. But uh, what ended up happening was, and I'm glad you asked me this question, what ended up happening was uh, Baylor had just got the coaching staff from Kentucky. So when they came to recruit me, they had on Baylor shirts, but they had Kentucky bags. <laughs> now, I don't know, like, what part of the game that is that, like, I, I had, I literally, I was disrespectful when uh, Coach Chris Lancaster, Walked in the room. I actually was slumped down in my seat, man. I wasn't paying no. When I saw that, I was like, I'm not going to pay these dudes no attention, man. But um, as the process continued on, and it, it, I mean, school after school, Texas, OU, Nebraska, um, um, Texas A&M, then you got schools like Toledo, you got basketball school, all kinds of schools coming in. It got to the point where it went from being just super exciting to being like a drag. And so I, I prayed about it. I was like, Lord, I need for you to, to show me, man, where you want me to go. And literally the very next day I woke up and I had like the little 12-inch TV, the little small TV that had the, the VCR that slide <laughs> that's on it. So I turned on the TV and da-na-na, da-na-na, ESPN show where cornerback Bobby Hart had just got kicked off the team for drug violations. I was like, oh, snap. And so when it was time for us to go to the recruiting visit and all that stuff, I went down there, um, saw it. It was nice to hold on, but I still was like, eh, you know, okay. But I had, I prayed again. And it was more information came out, the, the Dennehy and Dotson deal and all that stuff that came out. And I was That's like, right. well, why, why you keep showing me this stuff? And I remember it as clear as day. He showed me that he wanted me to be a light in a dark place. Mm. It's not necessarily about what you want to do, which I I say this to my kids and to any coaches. It's not about your will, but it's God's will that's got to be done. And as long as you do that, it don't matter what the the external part looks like. And so that's literally what led me to Baylor. I made the decision. I committed. I still want to go to Georgia Tech. Uh, Chan Gailey came to my house. He used to be the Cowboys head coach. He had just stepped down from being the Cowboys head coach to be the head coach of Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. He was trying to go there um, because he had another CJ in mind that he wanted to bring in. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> where I wanted to go, but he had other plans, and I'm glad I followed because it ended up working out. That's, That's how crazy. I got to Baylor. Yeah. That's crazy. I love I love, I love the story. Um, I know, you know, in – before I talked to you on the phone a couple of weeks ago to, to kind of set this up, I, you know, did a little research, read some articles and I was reading about, you know, Bob Stoops, Mac Brown recruiting. And I'm like, yep. and you know, my wife being graduate of Baylor, being very familiar <laughs> with Baylor football then I'm like, yeah, why? But that's, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah. You know, and you know, we kind of, I kind of made light of Baylor not having a lot of success at the mm-hmm. time, but mm-hmm. how did that shape you? Um, you know, cause you, Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's, it wasn't the yeah. best time to be there as far as when you're talking just wins and losses. But I know there were some yeah. some people there um, that tight bond. So, what was it yeah. about Baylor that, that that shaped you to who you are? 
Marcus Roberts uh, pulled me in in the summer when I when I first got there into the um, student the student athlete room where you go and do your work and all that at Mars McLean Building, and he pulled up the recruiting class and showed me my name. And you know I'm fresh out for this one year, you know at Baylor, um, all state this, and you know a lot of different love. But he showed me, he pointed at my name, and he said. This is why they're about to put us on the death penalty. People are saying it's over for Baylor Athletics because they're giving guys one-year scholarships. I mean, mm. they give scholarships who only played one year. And it hit me like a ton of bricks because in my mind, you know, I'm thinking, you're probably not supposed to be telling me this. Hey, and then he don't know how I'm going to respond, but he told me that. And so uh, he let me see it and left me in the room by myself. And for me, I took it personal that – if one person feels this way about me and he's telling me what a lot of people don't, cause I'm seeing a lot of people smile at me and all that stuff, but it's gotta be something else. So, man, I took that personal and I worked. He challenged me to come out every day and be the first one out there when we do one-on-ones and literally from my first day at Baylor to my last day at Baylor, whenever we would do one-on-ones, uh, DBs and receivers, I would always be up first. And that actually contributed to me being a, uh, not being redshirted. Because the other two DB, the other two corners that came in with me were way more highly touted than I was. One of them, actually, my roommate, Braylon Davis, actually had won an Olympic gold medal that year with with the two, uh, with uh, Daryl Williamson and uh, Jeremy Warner when they won the Olympic gold medal out in Athens and all that. Well, one of the guys on that relay, one of the alternates for that relay was Braylon Davis. That was oh, my wow. roommate. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So those- got reassured but I didn't and it's because I just took the challenge personally and my work ethic wouldn't subside because of someone being a senior and me being a freshman no I wanted all of the smoke brother all of it that's awesome and I love I love Marcus Roberts I mean just uh I connected with him a couple years ago and just yeah I could see where he could be one of the ones that would have that impact on you because I know he's impacted a a ton of guys yes he continues yes Change my uh, whole change course life, man. Yeah, year, years later. So successful for you personally at Baylor. You're selected mm-hmm. in the draft in the seventh round. So talk about the draft process because, honestly, most people think it's just this glamorous, you know, everything is roses. When you go through the process, you hear your name called, and then, wow, I'm in the <laughs> NFL. So, t- so talk about that whole process. It is – the battle of attrition, brother. I promise you. Um, the parts that people really need to understand is by the time they think that it's all sports related and it's not. Mm. Getting drafted is not necessarily about finding who's the best player. Mm. See, what we've done is we've taken the idea of playing, you know, football um, outside or playing basketball at, you know, at the gym and you pick guys that you think going to be good and that's not what the draft is. The draft is about finding the guy who's the most marketable for your team. Mm. That's what it's about. So what people do is, uh, teams do is they send people, man, to the college. They go sit in the back of classes. They go to your hometown. They actually ask people, you know, about your family and where do they like to eat when they're here. They go to the mm. restaurant and, and ask, what are, what, are, what is CJ like when he comes here? They will go uh, to the chow hall at, at Baylor. 
and ask the people at the chow hall, like, what is he like, you know, when he comes to the line? What does he like to eat and stuff like that? Hmm. Um, so stuff that people see on TV, they don't really, that doesn't really matter to them as much because they can pull that up real quick. What they want to know, how much should we invest in you for mm-hmm. what you do behind the scenes? I remember vividly being followed by three and four and five guys to my classes with clipboards writing down what, what they notice about where I sit in class, how attentive I am, how am I with people that's in my class. So when it gets to the draft, they add the, you know, the, the, the other sports factors into it, but all that meshes into it. Do you have a pretty girlfriend or not? Having a pretty girlfriend determines how confident you will be. If you don't have hmm. a girl that's as attractive, maybe this is a guy that's dealing with, with something else in his life. Is he more willing to get married sooner or later? How much money is that going to cost us? How does he perform whenever they get into disagreements and stuff like that? All of that stuff, man. Wow. They go on records, all of that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, just, I mean, you, know, you think about it, it's all about the the 40, the – um, yeah. the vertical and all that stuff, right? I, yeah, that's that's crazy nah. to go back and even want to know, know what you order in the in the chow hall line. Yeah, see here, and and here's a here's an example of how to prove it. Okay, you look at the greatest Super Bowl champion of in Tom Brady, right? Mm-hmm. I almost didn't get drafted. That's true because, because he didn't look good with his shirt off, and they didn't feel like at the time he had a girlfriend that was attractive enough for him to be marketable as a quarterback. So what did they do? They knew he could play, but they waited to get him cheap. Once they got him cheap, they sat him behind a guy who had just signed a $100 million contract so he could learn how to be a Drew Drew Bledsoe-esque type of guy. Mm -hmm. The same guy who didn't look good with his shirt off eventually became a model type guy, and then he ended up getting hooked up coincidentally with the top model on the planet. (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) Yeah, I got you. Yeah, so that's how that stuff works, man. And if you if you ever watch any documentaries on it, man, go back and watch how uh, Mr. Crab would always talk about when the day the first day he came in, he said he was going to win win them Super Bowls and championships. He always knew that he was that type of player, mm-hmm. but it was just getting that opportunity. That's so how it worked you, out. That's how it worked out. <laughs> and I'll say it worked out pretty well. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's how that's so, how the stuff goes, though, man. Yeah. So that's good. That, that's yeah, how that's, my this went. So what was it like? I mean, you you sit there. There's seven rounds, and you're waiting yeah. and waiting yeah. and waiting. Yeah. What what is it like to finally get the phone call? It was one of the weirdest yet greatest feelings in the world, man. Uh, I was actually slated to go late first, early second. Because you get a phone call from your agent the night uh, the night before. Because they get a roundup call, all of the teams, and they write down the list. So, you know, Mel Kiefer had me rated as the number four cornerback in the nation behind uh, Darrell Rivas, Aaron Ross, and uh, Marcus McCauley. So I'm looking at this like, oh, okay, well, yeah, that'll work. I just previously led the nation in interceptions earlier in the year before, uh, midway through the season before people start throwing at me. So I'm knowing it's going to be a good situation, but um, first day came in with nothing. And so I went up. I had a draft party and everything, man. Didn't even get called. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I was up at my uncle's house the next day laying on the floor. And my girlfriend, uh, who became my fiance, who's now my wife, 
Um, the phone was going off on the floor. It had a whole bunch of zero, zero, one, three, zero, zero, seven. And she shook me. She was like, CJ, wake up. I was like, what? She was like, wake up, somebody calling. I think it's them. And I had like one eye open, man. And I looked. <laughs> and I actually, when I picked it up, um, it was like, is this CJ Wilson? I was like, uh, yeah. Like, CJ, this is uh, Coach Fox. How would you like to be a Carolina Panther? Man, all of the sleep that I ever had in life left. <laughs> I was tuned in immediately. She left and ran in the room and told my mom, my, my uncle, my aunt, um, that it was time that they had called. And I talked with him, uh, with Coach Fox, talked with the general manager, the president. Um, and then they told me, well, you need to go in and start watching it on TV, man, because your name's about to be called. So by the time I walked out of the room, I saw my mom. Remember the same one that had drove those eight hours, the same one that went through all of this stuff with me. She's not even a crying type. I looked, as soon as I walked in the room, I looked and she's got two phones on the side of her, but she got two phones of talking, I don't know who, but she's crying and everybody's in the room going crazy and all of a sudden, it, you know, blanks on the screen. You see your name go across the screen, man. It's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing feeling. It is an amazing feeling. Wow. So you but played I, a couple, a few years with the Panthers, right? And then you, yeah. you get home, you get home, quote unquote, you get some yeah. time with the Cowboys. So talk about um, just your time in the NFL, you know, any highlight that stands out and then what, what led to your retirement? Um, the, the business side of it, man, is, is incredible um, for better and for worse. It's the stuff that you learn um, from the rookie symposium, you know, you look out your window and see Tiger Woods and Sergio Garcia and Phil Mickelson playing mm. on golf to, you know, you sitting in the same room with all of the greats. And you got Dion and Chris Carter and, you know, you see Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. And when you transition into the actual game, you're game planning for guys. And then you find out guys are game planning for you on the highest level. When you learn that you're in the top 1% in the world at doing what you do. Um, especially like playing defensive back, man, to realize there's only 300 people in the world that can do your job. Like wow. they hit you. It's not like college or high school where it's like different people buying to get it. Like in the pros, like that's literally it. So my, my highlight would have to be um, scoring a touchdown, man, against the Ravens because um, uh, Ray Lewis was the guy that helped inspire me to go back to football. And I was sitting on my uncle's couch. Matter of fact, then when I had saw that when I was in high school, when they had won a championship with that defense and mm -hmm. to be able to score in Baltimore um, on defense. And I remember I turned around, I looked up at the Jumbotron, man, and I saw they showed him looking up at the screen upset. I was like, it's a wrap for me. I'm good now. Like I got a chance to play against, to line up against T.O. Ocho Cinco. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald. I mean, if you can if in the last 10, 12 years, if you can think of a great receiver, quarterback, or what have you, a great offense, I played against it in wow. a game and still got all the scouting reports. That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, just thinking about receivers you mentioned, I'm like, oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. Wow. Man. So, how, how many years total did you play? I played five, four with five, Carolina okay. Cowboys. 
Okay. Wow. And so what, what led to your, your retirement? Uh, when I got back here, um, playing here, man, I actually, my last year in Carolina, uh, I got a good feel at being secondary captain, voted team captain and did a lot of, a lot of stuff, uh, two Super Bowl commercials and actually the first two years, first three years, really, man, I was a bag up and to be able to do all that stuff behind the scenes, um, I got a feel of it. It wasn't the same. I didn't care about the money and all that stuff. I just wanted to play against whoever was the best. That was it. And when I lost that that feel for it like that, I just I prayed. I was like, Lord, look, I want to I want to finish playing in front of in front of my mom. The same place where I started playing is where I want to finish because I wanted mm-hmm. her to be able to see me play my last game. And so uh, when Carolina released me, a um, few weeks went by, and all of a sudden I got a phone call from Stephen Jones telling me that he wanted me to come uh, come out and help uh, help with the secondary. They had heard my reputation uh, about what I can, how I mentor and stuff like that. And so they called me in, and, man, they clicked. And so uh, once I got there, I got a chance to see what the Cowboys was about. Lifted weights, actually, with Jerry a couple of times, um, literally side by side, just, you know, wow. having talking, uh, seeing what the business was like there uh, here in Dallas and um, – yeah, man, got a phone, got a call when I was coming in after actually one of my better games and got told I was released. And a part of me still was working out, man, but it really wasn't that feel. And the, the nail in the coffin was uh, my my wife had told me she was uh, she was pregnant. She was working for, I think it was J.P. Morgan at the time in New York. She had she was pregnant. And immediately, Stu, I lost all love for the game that I had. Oh, I mean, all I, I can't explain it is it's weird, but I like I immediately lost it. And mm. I got a phone call, man, from the Buccaneers, the the Minnesota Vikings, um, who else was it? And the Rams. They had all called me and was like, man, we, you know, six hundred we was gonna give you six hundred thousand dollars to come in for just the rest of the season, brother. Whatever decision you want to make after that you can. I couldn't do it. My heart wasn't in it. And I know as a veteran. I know as a veteran, you'll probably hear veterans talk about this. As a veteran, you know when your heart's not in and you're still just doing it to do it, that's when injuries come. Yeah. And I didn't want that. So when I heard that she was pregnant, man, that was it. That changed everything. And I that's don't awesome. No I mean, part I of think it. I think that's awesome to know. I mean, you know, because a lot of yeah. guys um, stick around too long. Yes. And that, you know, and then injury after injury after injury. And then – Seems like then then the rest of their life that they're dealing with that stuff. Yep. So here here's a here's an added thing too, Stu man. I think that's important, um, especially for coaches who's gonna who's gonna hear this is to be a player like there. You got to understand that when when people when your kids start to identify you with sport, you've lost something. I mm. wanted to uh, as dad, not as number twenty seven. Because I've seen guys who kids would come to this facility and would call them by their first name and would identify them as football players. I didn't want that. Mm-hmm. I didn't want that. I wanted to be called dad and be associated with that. My daughter, even now, she, my daughter doesn't really identify me with anything football related, even though she comes to the games. Mm. She just know me as dad. That's when she awesome. sees football on TV, you don't associate that with me. I think that's, that's powerful, right? I mean, I think that's that's incredible. 
Yeah, I think that's my greatest athletic achievement is my daughter's five years old now. She don't know what her dad has actually been able to do. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, she knows you as dad. And and that's just a reminder of identity. You know, a lot of times we think whether it's athletics or the business world or what, or our identity is in what we do. And that's just so messed up. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That's, That's awesome. So one more question um, about the NFL, you know, you talked about, you know, it's not all glamorous yeah, and, and it is demanding. So yeah. how do you balance that demand as an NFL player? I mean, spirit, your spiritual life, uh, mm-hmm. family life with also, I mean, it is your job, yeah. um, you know, to work out and practice and film and in place. So how, how does that all, how do you balance all that? Well, every team has um, a chaplain, and uh, we would, I know in Carolina, we would have on uh, Wednesdays, we would have our uh, Wednesday and Sunday, then we actually, my last two years, we have to move to Thursdays, we would have our, you know, weekly Bible studies, man, and you would have a final Bible study the night before a game, where when you travel somewhere, they bring in someone, man, from somewhere, you know, to be the person that speaks to you, sit together, pray together. And throughout your practices, throughout the week, man, you would just have to carve out a little, your own space. And I used to write um, in my scouting reports, I still have them. Um, I would write stuff that I that I actually got a question with to God, like, Lord, why am I here? Uh, if I was to get hurt here, how, would, how do I need to respond? What would be the best way for me to to do this. Where do you want me to go? Like I would ask myself those questions. So sometimes when I would get so bogged down into it on my off days, I would go to a hospital and it would give me perspective. I would go to uh, a school and sit at a school and watch kids um, play. I'd sit down with a principal and watch kids play and, and just think about different things like, Lord, like what do you really want me to do? And he will keep, he will constantly put little things there for you to do. So you still are able to do the stuff that you, that you're there to do, like you say, your work. But you just got to carve out little spaces to, to give him his time and his credit. And he never left me. I, I, I can say that in the most honest and truthful way I can. He was always there for literally every little thing. Mm-hmm. Even when he wasn't saying anything, it was really more so about him waiting on me, not, my, not uh, me waiting on him. Mm. You know, that's, that, that's just a powerful truth that we can all, all that claim to be followers of Christ can, can identify mm. with. You know, the comfort is he doesn't leave us. Yep. You know, sometimes it may seem like it, yep. you know, that it's distant. And a lot of times it's, a, it's, it's us. Yep. You know, that's, yep. that's good. That's good. Very good. So now you're, uh, you're in coaching. So you're retired. You go back to school to get your degree. So talk about when you – felt that calling, if you will, to pursue coaching? My wife, man. Hmm. My wife was the, she was the one. Um, I didn't, she, she made me sit down one day. We was just having a conversation and she was like, she said, baby, you, you've been doing this pretty much your whole life. I was like, what? She's like, think about it. You've been a team captain on everything you played against, even when you didn't play. In uh, Carolina, my last two years, I used to get phone calls to come up and be a part of the game planning for the for the uh, Panthers, the defensive game plan and all that stuff, uh, personnel and all of that. Even when I was 
chosen as a healthy scratch not to play. I still had the game plan for guys to be able to do uh, do their jobs. And so um, I used to I, I didn't even think about it till after the fact. Like, wait a minute, there weren't anybody up there but me and the coaches. And Man, I've done in NFL game planning, man, for three years. Literally a player coach, the first player coach in the Carolina Panthers history, and didn't even realize it until after the fact. Mm-hmm. So when she told me that, she was uh, when she made me sit down and think about it, she was like, yeah, baby, you got to think about it. So with the gifts that you have, why not you know, use that towards uh, helping other people? And so I was like, I fought it at first, but I was like, you know, she she kind of right, her man. <laughs> she kind of right. Sometimes and, they are right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it More worked. times than not. Uh, um, yes, yes. It up. It's crazy because um, I had to when after I, after I finished up my degree, I came back here to Dallas. I had to meet with uh, the former uh, um, athletic director of Dal of DISD. Gil Garza. And I literally left the meeting with him to go to the hospital to pick up my daughter for us to take her home for the first time. Wow. Crazy. And the next day I got over 40 phone calls from coaches within DISD calling me trying to get me to come and coach at their school. That's how it all played out, man. Literally just like that. (laughs) That's crazy. And where are you coaching now? I'm at Life Oak Cliff Cliff School in Oak Cliff. The charter school, Dion's old prime on um, on Dion's old prime prep uh, campus. Oh, okay. We're, yeah, we're on the front side. Prime, uh, the old prime prep is on the back side. And you're coaching DBs, I assume. Well, I'm the defensive coordinator, so I coach. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, my first year there, I coached DBs, but this last year, I actually coached uh, the defensive line. There you go. So what role does your faith play in your coaching? It's, it's it. The whole, I, I learned something. The whole niche of being a football coach is all faith-based anyway because you, you try to apply substance, but it's really something you're hoping for, which is what mm. faith is. And the moment that you get people, you get kids to buy in, that's the only thing God trying to get us to do is to buy in. So for people who struggle with faith and don't believe that God is real, but yet you go to a football game, you're watching faith on full display because mm. there ain't one coach out there that knows what they call is going to actually happen. <laughs> they just, they just, they just, we practice this stuff. Now it's live. And I'm hoping this joke will get out here and do what I coached him to do. <laughs> so, yeah, it's true. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's hard for me to, you know, just, it's hard for me to understand how a person can't use faith, but yet you love sport because that's all coaching is about. The best, the, best, the best exercisers of faith are the best coaches. Hmm. Hmm. That's good. I'm going to write that down. Oh, man. Don't do me like this, too. <laughs> no, I'm scared. I'm, I'm not going to tweet it. <laughs> It's, it's not official good, unless man. it goes on Twitter, right? <laughs> hey, it's all good, man. If it can help somebody, I don't, I don't care, man. That's right. So, you know, you, you talked about your wife and your and your daughter, and you know, she knows you as dad, and not really football. So, but coaching takes mm-hmm. much like being a player. There, there's a lot on your time. So, how do you balance that being a a coach with also, I mean, being that husband and dad? 
Well, I know my worth and I know my value and I know what, what God has given me. And so with that, I, I look at it as a, from a negotiation point of view. When I came to life school, I told them the only thing I wanted to do was football. And with that being said, and I know that's rare because you got to at least do two sports as a coach and all that. But we sat down, we talked about it. They valued what it is that I had to offer it. That's all I do. I coach football and after football, um, it's over with, man. I'm, I'm home. When that's over with, I teach, I do my stuff. And that, that's over with, brother. I come home. I'm dad. I'm husband. And I love it. I wouldn't trade it for anything. And it's not to discredit other sports. And I know that I'm needed in other areas. I've coached track before. I've helped send kids to college uh, and track before. But like I said, husband, dad comes before all of that. And with all of the time that I take away during football, man, I want to be able to give something back. And that's one of the things that I've actually fallen in love with, man, is actually being able to be husband, dad, because it makes football easier. Mm. I didn't realize that before I got into it, uh, but it's actually better. So falling in love with being a husband and a dad makes football even better. Makes it even better. I love that. That's good. That's very good. So let me ask you about, about coaching and, you know, we talked about faith and coaching, but there's been a lot of talk for the last six or seven months or so about, and it's always been around, but it kind of came up last fall um, yeah. with, you know, all coaches have to use profanity, if you will. And then mm-hmm. you had guys like Tony Dungy and some others came out and said, that's really not true. Mm-hmm. So how do you, you know, as, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, how do you approach coaching um, with, you know, cause everything's about wins and losses and, mm-hmm. but how do you balance that with, with a fine line of building players up versus being degrading? Yeah. Well, I think it comes down to understanding the language. A lot mm-hmm. of, a lot of coaches don't understand the language. They, it's more like dictatory. And when you do that, you're going to lose more than you win. And being a dictator has never favored anybody really in world history in the long term. So what I do is I'm hard on the kids. I am. If, and, and it starts with me asking them a question. What do you really want? What do you really want out of me as a coach? And it's not a, I don't do it globally for everybody to see. The kid that's working quietly, I'll find a way when he's lifting the slide up and ask him. Your leader, I'll find a way to, to call him to the, to the front porch. Mm-hmm. And and everybody in between. So I coach according to what you what you tell me you really want to be. So I don't have to degrade you in order to pull you up. Mm. I don't, all I got to do is hold you accountable to your word. And if you're falling away from your word, then guess what? You give me the license then to actually to dig into you. I have to. Because as a man, when you leave me and you come out here into this real world, it's not going to be any patty cakes. It's not going to be mm-hmm. all... It's okay. Let me rub your back. No, you got to take care of your family. You are a man. God called you first. You're going to be responsible for your family, just like you're going to be responsible for your team. Mm -hmm. So God is going to hold you accountable to his word and to the word that you give to him. And when you don't do what's right, he digs into you. He finds a way to get that done. So I just take that premise, man, and roll with it. God understands all languages. And so he know how to speak my language and what to get to me the same way he's know how to speak your language to get to you. And it's, it may not be the same. 
So I try to use that same tool, man, and how it is that I teach it. I don't degrade and completely doesn't even cross the table. And if it appears like it's even getting there, I'll literally stop and tell the kid, let me apologize for if you feel like that this is what I'm doing, let me mm-hmm. show you. And then that kid, I won't say anything. I've actually pulled the kid out of practice and let him watch me coach other guys that he thought I was hard on. Same kid come back late and tell me, coach, I love you. Mm. So. Yeah, that's, you know, that's something I I struggle with or with people that have this perception, if you will, of Christian Christians are soft. Like, (laughs) look, if I'm doing what the Bible says and that's, you know, I believe excellence. Yes. What God calls us to. Yes. Then we should want to compete hard. We should want to yes. to win. There's nothing wrong with wanting that yes. and demanding excellence, but it's just how it's done. I like I like what you said. You don't have to degrade somebody to build them up. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, and I'm glad you said that. There's a lot of people who, well, first and foremost, there's a lot of people that don't understand Christianity. They don't understand yes. Christ. Let's start there. If you really go and read Christ's words, he was not this brother floating on thin air saying, kumbaya, peace be unto you. That wasn't him <laughs> at all. You're right. He, he was challenging people left and right. That was who he was. When you go and you look at the overall scope of the Bible, because it's about Christ anyway, it's about Jesus anyway, God was not sitting down the whole time, you know, speaking in a calmly voice and trying to massage people with, you know, with them breaking the rules, not following what he has. No. He had points where he got on the people and that was points where he was graceful and merciful with people. And it's the same thing with coaching, man. It's just re-exercising what we learn from him. That's how I look at it. If you study him closely, you'll be a great everything, but especially a great coach, in my opinion. I like that. That's good. And that's, that's a great perspective. Um, whether you're coaching or anywhere in life, that's just a good perspective that if we study the totality of the scripture, you know, we're supposed to be like him, and to yes. be like him, we got to know him, which is studying the scripture. That's good. Yes, sir. So let me ask you um, the role of sports and culture. Um, yeah. And this one, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going down the politics road, yeah. um, but it's very divided right now. Yes. Um, and cultures all it has been divided, whether it's politics, religion, race, socioeconomics, it doesn't, there's so many things, but Sports has this unique ability, if you will, to tear mm-hmm. down those walls. So in your experience as a player and a coach, how have you seen those walls torn down through football? Stuart, I used to get I used to get handwritten letters that said at Baylor that said, I hate you, the N-word. Whoa. Yeah. And yeah. you were at Baylor what what time were you, when were you at Baylor? Yeah. <laughs> from two, <laughs> yeah, two thousand three to two thousand six, man. Yeah, but not get, not nineteen sixties. Exactly, right, right, right. I used to get handwritten letters that said, "Go back to Coon County," because Terrell mm. is in Kaufman County. And what I did was through the through the lens of sport was okay. Got it. I'm just going to go out and play, and you're going to still show up. Even though you wrote this, you're still going to show up, and I'm still going to put on the show. So the same people, man, the exact same people, and I noticed the same people who was actually doing that, it just dawned on me then, 
you literally have to stop what you're doing in life to do something like this. So I'm going to continue doing what I do because I think me and you can be friends. Mm. I think we can be friends. And I'm going to keep showing up because I want to offer my friendship. And mm. I learned. So even now, like the other day, I got a tweet from a guy when I was talking about the CBA stuff. Some guy out of Detroit, I think, t- uh, sent me a message saying that I'm stupid for my take on uh, on the CBA thing. And I responded the same way I did at Baylor. I just kept doing what I was doing and and um, said a couple words to him. That was nice, very professional. Now the guy sends me messages every day asking me questions about different things in a very friendly way. Mm. So with that being the case, that's how I look at it, man. I Culture is always going to be a mixed bag of people who who mental who mental health wise are not where they need to be and they think they can release it on people in sport because of what coaches and players go through how they should be tough enough to deal with it well we're people too but what we have to understand is use the avenue that you have to promote the greater good of who you are and who your father is because he get much worse than any of what we get there's people who say they god and he wake them up every morning now that's culture. <laughs> yeah, you know, no kidding. Respond. That's cool. I forgive you. I'm gonna wake you up tomorrow. I'm gonna keep showing you how great I really am. I'm gonna wake you up again tomorrow. Mm. And so I take that in the same perspective as in talking about culture, man. It's the exact same, exact same way. Sports gives people an outlet to to that's see true. them in a different and greater light. Wow, you're right. I mean. I'm just sitting here trying to process those notes and how you could do that. And in your case, still go out there and perform. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy, man. It's my, my, my mom used to, and I used to try to keep her away from that type of stuff. She used to ask me sometime, like, you know, I said, baby, how does it feel? You know, you, you know, you see all these comments and people say all this type of stuff. You're like, baby, you okay? And I used to always say to her, like, mama, that field was hotter. Mm. <laughs> Having to take, you know, my Pell Grant check, that $2,000 that you get and cutting it in half and driving it back home to help pay, take care of bills. You know, wow. seeing light in your eyes, knowing that everything going to be okay when that happens. Oh, that gets me through. So yeah. I'm okay. I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that. Those same people, and I'll I finish that with this, those same people from a cultural point of view, those same people, my last game uh, my last game of my junior year was literally chanting in the stadium one more year. Hmm. So I take it, I literally look at it just like that, man. You can't win everybody, and I learned that from Jesus, that he, it, it, he, he desires that all come unto him, but he knows that they won't. So I look at it the same way. I desire that all people get along, but I know that it won't. I just got to present myself in a fashion where I want you to see my work through my work. And my work mm-hmm. is Christ is for Christ's kingdom. You would just get a chance to see that through my coaching and my playing. That's, that's good my, stuff. That's good. That's, that's, that's a good perspective, a good reminder for sure. What would you say to a coach or a student athlete that's listening that understands that they have a platform I mean, mm-hmm. athletics, you've already talked about it as a platform. It can be used for good or bad. And yeah. they're wanting to use that um, to be bold in their faith. How would you encourage them to do that? No fear. 
Stop being afraid. Mm. Stop being afraid of this politically correct culture. You got to stop that. If if you say that you are a follower of Christ, I just want I want people and anybody who challenges this, I'm I'm open for it. Show me where Christ was politically correct. Mm. When you start showing me where Christ was politically correct, then that's where I'll start. Now, am I telling you to be reckless? No. What I'm saying is if that's something that you believe in and you really believe it, then ask him to direct your pathway and he'll lead you in the right direction. Don't worry about what to say. He'll give you the words to say. He promised us that. <laughs> That's true. So hold his feet to the fire. Now, don't worry about somebody holding you to the fire because that ain't going to last long. Hold God's feet to the fire. Now, Lord, you tell me what to say. And if he don't give you anything to say, then say nothing. Mm. So as a coach, view it the same way. As a player and that platform you have, man, don't be afraid. Fear not. Most of that book, Whenever people get into a sense of panic or, or I don't really know what to do, the first thing God will come out and say, or he'll send someone to say it on his behalf is fear not. Fear, fear, not, God fear not, not, fear not. There you go. Fear and God cannot occupy the same space. It's impossible. You're going to serve one of the two. I was reading some just the other day as, you know, as we're recording this, this whole coronavirus. It says it seems like people are fearing the virus more than they fear God. Yes, Absolutely. It's like, how and, silly is that? Yes. Again, you could tell someone, hey, man, this person over, you know, and I've seen some of the, some of the memes and stuff, and it's, it's, a, it's amazing, but it is truthful. I really hope people just sit down man, and think about, like, if this, which 98%, 97, 98% of the people recover from, I, and I get it. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to be insensitive to no one. But I just, I wonder, man. Why don't we act like this when we are talking about him and when he gets when he comes back? Why are people trying to clear out stores trying to buy bottles up, or people trying to clear out stores to get hand sanitizer when he is the only thing that can clean you? Mm. Ooh, there you go. <laughs> who, you own something really? there. <laughs> I mean, really? That's that's for real there. I, I mean. I went to the grocery store the other day, and it was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, all over silly stuff. But anyway, we could talk about yeah. an hour on that. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I like yeah. that. Fear and God cannot occupy the same space. Cannot. That's good. So, this is always a fun one for me because I like to go back and, and, and look at these. A lot of people grow up with the life verse or favorite scripture. So I, I like to ask if you have one or is there one that God has shown you recently that you would um, share to encourage us? Genesis, the first chapter, when you look at verse 26 and 27, you, you read those two verses, he created uh, male and female. He first, it was the idea of creating man. He didn't physically create him then. That's why you got to go to the second chapter before he breathed life into him. The idea he created in his head male and female and then he went and formed the man out of the dust of the ground so yes men we come first but the idea of male and female he did that first so when you look at it and you start reading and he talks about how he created all of these animals and all of this stuff and the stars the moon the plant like everything he created but he gave all of that dominion to me and to you why are we giving it back to yeah. me <laughs> mm. 
So when people ask me, you know, well, how in the world, CJ, were you able to do this or write this and go with like all of these different things, man, because I understand the power of the planet resides in me. I know he gave me this. And so if a person questioned that, well, I mean, do you really mean that? Uh, if my guy said it, I believe it. Why yeah. should I feel when he gave me the dominion over? There's people in Africa right now, Stu, that wake up. I can't remember the name of the tribe, but if the people, if you listen to this, you can Google this. There's a tribe, one of many, but there's a tribe in Africa right now where the little boys wake up in the morning and look over the landscape. And when they see a lion, that same lion sees them. That lion looks at them out the eye and turns and goes the other way. And the lion is the king of the jungle. Wow. All of these, all of these animals, all of these, I mean, everything naturally on earth that is created has a natural fear of man. But mm. we're afraid of thing. No fear. No fear. No fear. I like that. I was looking, uh, I like to go back to Genesis 1 a lot. You know, it's just, it's just a yes, good reminder. You know, yes, somebody sir. else shared somebody else shared that uh that recently that you know um if we're creating God's image, yep. we always say we serve an awesome God, then we're yep. awesome. Yep. Absolutely. You know, we don't we don't we don't live that way. You know, we yep. live with a bunch of doubts and a bunch of fear, but like you said, God created us in his image. He's awesome. So yep. of course he wants us to be awesome because he created us that yep. way but we yep. but we just don't feel That's like we just don't ever pursue that it's good and stuff. a lot of that a lot of that is the fear of actually realizing that's true because once you realize it's true then there's no more excuses than not to be awesome <laughs> and some well, of us don't want that that's true that's true because then we yeah we can't have yep. pity parties as much there you go yes sir Yes, we sir. We can't play it and get all this extra attention if if we uh, <laughs> if we don't believe it fully. That's good. So you are putting the nail in the coffin right there, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's just stuff, you know. He's getting me started on some pet peeves. That's all. That's all. Yes, sir. So the last question: um, okay. two words in sports. It's all over the place. All in, and I mean, it's on t-shirts, wristbands, chin straps. But it's also, you know, you talked about Jesus's teachings. It's all over his teachings. Yeah. You know, but if you're going to be a follower of, of his, he demands us to be selfless. So this is a practical question. So what does it mean, CJ, for you to be all in for Christ, like in, a, on your, in your daily walk? If I can't have him, I don't want anything. Mm. I'm all in. If I can't have him, I don't want anything. Yep. All in. Well, man, I appreciate it. I know it's... Uh, you know, uh, time is precious, especially as a dad of a five-year-old. So I appreciate you setting some time aside and letting us talk through your story. I know, I know it's been fun for me to, um, you know, being a Baylor football fan to kind of talk, talk through some of that and kind of get to know you a little bit. But I look forward to, um, to sharing your story with with a lot of people because I think, I think there's a lot that will encourage a lot of people in in their walk, whether they're coaches or not. Yes, sir, man. I I certainly appreciate you, man, for having me, man. I'm yeah. I'm honored. <laughs> that's I'm honored. that's awesome, you, man. So I, I certainly appreciate it, man. Cool. Thank you again to CJ for taking time to to share his story. Just a, a powerful testimony of growing up where he grew up and just 
having to literally walk to take a shower and, and having uh, to deal with the pride issues of being benched for a year and a half, two years, and working his way back up, and then ultimately getting a scholarship at Baylor and playing in the NFL, and now just the heart to serve um, in, in coaching now in a charter school in the Dallas area. Just, a, just an incredible young man. I'm, I'm just so thankful for him for being available to share his story. Just a couple of notes um, that I, I took away from it was um, just having no fear, that um, your faith is greater than fear, that fear and God cannot occupy the same space. And that's not talking about what the Bible talks about, fearing God, having reverence for God. This is being um, scared and afraid. It just can't exist with God. Um, and he just closed it out by saying, and this just sums up, um, the way we all should um, see life. He said, if I can't have Jesus, I don't want anything. And that just right there just got me because it had me do a true examination of my own heart, my own mind, and, and say, do I wake up every day with that same mindset that if I can't have Jesus, I don't want anything. I would encourage you to, to share this episode with somebody that needs to be encouraged um, thank you for listening. Um, as always, you can visit our website at allinsportsoutreach.org or any of our social media platforms, um, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Just type in All In Sports Outreach. We'd love to hear from you. Um, you can find out who we are, why we do what we do, um, just anything you want to you wanna find out. It, it's there. Um, I will say a, no, a side note on the, on the website is um, under construction, so some of the information is in the process of being updated. But nonetheless, check it out, um, interact with us, share this podcast. If you're not a subscriber to the podcast, I'd encourage you to subscribe today. Um, until next time, um, we, we hope you have a, a blessed day, a blessed week. Stay safe, stay healthy. Thank you for your support, encouragement, and prayers.